Thanks for joining us at Reveal, a Jesus-centered community. To learn more about us and what's going on, check us out on the web at www.revealvineyard.com. We hope in the minutes to come, you're able to find God, find others, and find yourself. Thanks again for listening. Today we're starting a new series called You and We. Uh, Anywhere that there is a we, there is a gathering of yous. Now, I know that's not proper grammar unless you're from New York, but I'm going to be using it here, so work with me a a little bit. Uh, 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 There cannot be a we if there is no you or if there is only you. It takes at least two yous to make a we. Uh, The only reason that we are a we is because enough of you decided that I want to be part of the we. In other words, next week, if there is no you, then there is no we. I mean, there'll be my wife and I, but we're more of an us, right? So, and she won't be sitting through my sermon alone, I promise you that much. Uh, uh, but, but you make us a we. But just because a couple hundred people gather together in the same room, just because a couple hundred yous gather together in the same room and create a we by proximity, doesn't mean that we are a strong we. It takes more than proximity for a we to be strong or a we to be effective. For a marriage to be successful, there must be two yous working together as a common we. For a family to thrive, there must be a sense of we, a connection, a bond that holds the family together through times of conflict and times of stress, like teenage years. We all know that one. For an organization to be effective, there must be enough yous united under a common vision to create a healthy we. If in your workplace right now you have yous and no we, I can promise you that your workplace is not happy, morale is low, and turnover is probably high, right? Because there, are, there is a bunch of yous, but there is no we, there is no common vision, there is no buy-in. For we to be a healthy we... It takes more than proximity. It takes shared beliefs and common goals, and it takes clear vision. And so I would like mid-year for us to kind of reset and to uh, explore why we exist. I want to explore the relationship between you and we, because you make us a better we. Any effectiveness that we have as a church is because some of you decided to make us a better we. That's the reality of it. That you decided to make us a better we. You decided to make us a better church. And so my hope is, is at the end of this year, we will be an even better we than the we that we now see. It makes sense if you slow it down, I promise you. So we're going to unpack this a little bit as we explore this idea of why we exist. Now for some of you, this first part will be review, but it's good review, so uh, just, uh, just stay, stay with me. Several years ago, Simon Sinek wrote a book called Start With Why, uh, and his premise was that all inspiring, motivating, world-changing leaders or organizations, they all operate uh, out of what he called the golden circle. The golden circle is simply this. At the, at the center of that golden circle is the why. And Sinek says, this is the core belief of an organization. And we could expand it to say this is the core belief of an individual, of a person, or of a church, of a business, whatever it is. This is the core belief of an organization, a church or a person. It's why that person or that business or that church exists. It's why they get out of bed in the morning. He says the next circle is how, and this is how the organization works 
toward their core belief or their why. The how is, is, is how they accomplish their why. And then on the outer circle, he says, is the what. And this is what the person or what the organization does to fulfill their core belief. Here's a very simple uh, breakdown of it will look like this. If your why is making money, hopefully your why is deeper than that, but let's say your why, why you get out of bed, why you exist is to make money, then your how is you have a job, and you could tell us how you do your job better than anyone else, what sets you apart in your job, how you rise above others to accomplish your why, which is making fat stacks of bank. And then the what you do, let's just say you sell cars. And so you have your why is to make money. Your how is that you have a job and how you do it better than others. And the what you do is that you sell cars. Now listen to what Cynic says. He says, all great and inspiring leaders and organizations in the world all think, act, and communicate the exact same way. And it's the complete opposite of everyone else. He says this, that almost every organization starts by telling you what they do. They feature their product or they feature their service. Every employee can tell you this, what he or she does. Some can even explain how they do it, their differentiating value proposition or how they do it better or different than their competition. Now listen, he says, but very few know and are able to articulate why they do what they do. Very few know their purpose. Very few know their cause or their belief, why their organization exists and why they get out of bed in the morning. Look at the golden circle again. The why, the core belief of why you exist, the how, how you work towards your why or your belief and what you do to accomplish your why. He says, all great and inspiring leaders, and let's expand it, all great and inspiring leaders, marriages, Families, churches, relationships, doesn't matter what it is, all of them in the world all think, act, and communicate in the exact same way, and it's the complete opposite of everyone else. While most people communicate their what, those who inspire and leave their mark communicate from the inside out, starting with why. So what is your why is the first question that you can ask yourself. But we're looking at the greater why, not the, not the why of you, but the why of we. People are inspired by an inspiring or great why. Martin Luther King in uh, summer of 1963 gave his famous I Have a Dream speech. It was his why. It was why he exists. He was trying to get his why to become the why of a nation where all people would be treated equal with equal opportunity and equal justice and equal respect and equal value. And, and it, was, it was his dream. It was, it was his why. It wasn't his what or how. He didn't even have a what, quite honestly. There was no 10 easy steps to racial harmony. All he had was his why, and people rallied around a why. 250,000 people came to Washington, D.C. to be inspired by a man who had no what and no how, but only had a why. This, this is, is kind of what we're, we're trying to unpack a little bit today, to be crystal clear in the why. And so they gathered for king, but not just for king, they gathered for themselves because his why became their why and slowly their why became the why of a nation. Not perfect and a lot of work to, to do, but you can see how one man's why inspired a nation. John F. Kennedy, Kennedy inspired a nation with his why to put a man on the moon. The problem was the technology, the how, did not even exist. And so people bought into a why and figured out the how later. 
when Jesus called his disciples, he didn't call them to a what necessarily. He didn't call them to a how necessarily. That came later. What he called them to was a new why. Look at Matthew 4. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he and two brothers... Uh, he saw two brothers, this is Jesus, saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he, Jesus, said to them, follow me, here's your why, and I will make you fishers of men. You see what Jesus did there? He's so clever. He's so clever, right? I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and they followed him. Here's Jesus changing their why, saying the why that you exist, the why, the reason you get out of bed is about to change very quickly. I'm giving you a new purpose in life. It is said that when Steve Jobs recruited John Scully, Scully, who was then the CEO of Pepsi, he said, John, he said, uh, do you want to just make sugar water the rest of your life or do you want to help me change the world? He was recruiting him with what? With, with a new why. And I think this is what Jesus was, was doing. He was, saying, he was saying, look, do you just want to catch fish or do you want to help me change the world? I'm giving you a new why, a new purpose, a, a, new, a new reason to get out of bed. And so I want us to unpack our why so that we're crystal clear on this. See, the what that we do can be seen quite easily. You can be here for the first time ever, and you can get an idea of what we do just by walking through our building and seeing what we're doing. But why we do what we do is what matters, the golden circle. Why needs to be what drives us. If, if you're new with us, the why is what caused a bunch of people to put chips all in to try to get this building that we're in now. Right When we took a huge financial risk to even get in here, it was chips all in. It was bet the farm. We didn't tell the landlord any of that, but we knew it, right? It was like, we're not even sure this is going to work. But people came together and sacrificed and gave. Why? Because they understood the why and what was important and what we're about and why we need to exist. And so let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Why? I know this sounds trite, but we exist because people matter. And the love of God has not grown impotent. And God is still reaching out to his creation, calling people unto himself. And we can never become a church that is only about the we that we currently see. Anytime we just become about us, our church begins to die. People still matter. And so if you want to know the vision of our church, why we do what we do, if you want to know why we exist, here it is. And it is to help as many people as possible including you, to help you find God, find others, and find yourself. That if at the end of my life I could have led a church that helped people find God in a life-saving relationship with Jesus Christ, if I could have led a church that, that, that allowed people to find one another, to do life in community where faith is a shared commodity, and if I could lead a church where people found who they were created to be, and I will die a happy man. A broke man, but a happy man. And so let, let, let's unpack that a little bit. This, the idea of finding God. Listen, let me be very clear on this. We exist to bring people in a life-changing, into a life-changing relationship with Jesus. Because we believe that Jesus is still the answer to our biggest problem to our sin problem. We believe that he took our sins upon himself and in replacement of our sins, he gave us his righteousness is what scripture talks about. 
Look at 2 Corinthians 5. That God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us. Why? So that in him we might become the righteousness of God, that Jesus takes our sinfulness upon himself, and to replace it, he gives us his righteousness. The Christian experience is learning to live in the righteousness that you've already been given. And so we believe that that message still matters, and that message still needs to be communicated. We believe that the resurrection still matters, that the resurrection of Jesus ultimately is also our resurrection that I live because he lives, and that whatever is death and dying and decaying inside of me, that the power of the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that is now in me is able to raise those things back to life. We believe that message still matters, and that message still needs to be communicated to as many people as who will hear. We believe this. We believe that when our doors are open, it is open to everyone, regardless of age and race and background and sexual orientation and religious experience and tats and piercing, Muslim, non-Christian. It doesn't matter to me. I want us all to be seekers of Jesus. I want us to be seekers of God and God's best because all of us come through those doors a little bit broken. Now, it doesn't mean that we stay in our brokenness, Right? Part of, part of the Holy Spirit working in us means that, that as we pursue the things of God, that he is changing the me that I used to be. So I'm not, we're, just not, we're just not a church to say, well, come as you are and stay as you are. That's not the gospel message. The gospel message is that, hey, come to Jesus, you're sinful, have your sins forgiven, and allow Jesus to begin a work in you. That you will become the you that you want to be, and more than that, the you that, you, that he wants you to be. And so this idea needs to be clearly communicated to everyone, that we would begin to walk in the righteousness and live in the righteousness that we've already been declared to be, the righteousness that we've already been given. And so uh, uh, the first part of our why is we exist. Why? So that people can find God. But then we also exist so people can find others, because you are better when you're part of a we. You are better when you're part of a we. Listen, an isolated you is a you at risk. If there is something in you that only you know about, if there is something in your life that only you know about, listen, listen, you're in danger. That's just the reality. And so an isolated you is a you at risk. You are stronger, safer, wiser, better cared for when you becomes a we. You are a better you when you're part of a we. Look at Galatians 6.2. Carry each other's burdens. That does not happen in rows. It doesn't happen when you're ear to ear with the person next to you. It does happen when you begin to do life face to face with one another, where you become a we, and someone can carry your burdens, and you can carry their burdens. I give this quote a lot. It's one of my favorite quotes. It says, when we live our lives in isolation... What we have is unavailable, and what we lack is unprocurable. It says, when, when, you are, when you are just a you, when you are just a you, then what you have is unavailable to the other yous, meaning the community is weaker because you've remained isolated, because you are not part of a we. But then there's, there's another part of it, that when you remain a you instead of a we, that what you lack is unprocurable. That the very thing that you need that I could give you, you don't get because you are a you instead of a we. Do you get it? 
And so there's, there's so much truth in this. And when we live our lives in isolation, what we have is unavailable. If I'm isolated, what I have, I can't give you. And you're weaker because of it, but I'm weaker because what you have, you can't give to me. And so you are better in a we instead of just being a you. We need you and you need a we. Here's the last part. This idea of find yourself. We just had our series on uh, identity theft. We've talked about the identity theft that's going on on a massive scale and has been going on since the beginning of humanity where our God-given identity is being robbed from us and we're being handed something in return that is not who we are supposed to be. We're left wandering and searching for something, an identity that, that, that matters. And we live in a culture that constantly puts upon you who you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to look like, how much you're supposed to weigh, what kind of parent you're supposed to be, what kind of wife, what kind of husband, what kind of man, what kind of woman. And all of that is upon us. How about if we step out, if we shed off the heaviness of a culture that tells us what we're supposed to be and we step into who God's called us to be? That's the whole idea of you finding yourself, that you have gifts and talents and abilities and that you are uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made and that you would begin to step into that and begin to be the person that you've been created to be through Jesus Christ. And so if we could find God, find others, find yourself, that's our why. People matter. Everything that we do, every ministry that we do, every dollar that is spent, every time that we reach into the community, every time we reach out internationally, it's because of that why, to help people find God, find others, and to find themselves. So how do we accomplish our why? Well, we have something that we call the hills that we die on. And this is uh, out in the lobby, it's in our uh, welcome book. I've preached on it. I won't go through all of that here right now, but I am going to go through them quickly. This is how we feel it's best to accomplish our why. This is how we lead people to God, to others, and ultimately to, to themselves, to discover who God's created them to be. The first why, or the first how that we die on, is that it's always about Jesus. And that if, if you come and just hear some good thoughts of mine, but you don't hear about Jesus who loves you, I've failed you in a very real sense. We are all about Jesus. We're about seeking truth that I want you to understand. That my first role as your pastor is not to make you laugh, is not to entertain you. I like to make you laugh. I like to keep you, you know, engaged. But my first role is to, is, is to try to help unpack truth, the truth of Scripture, to try to point you in a direction to find out what Scripture says about the character and the heart of God and the love of God and what Scripture says about you, what it says about me. And so we, we, we seek truth together, not just my ideas, not just your ideas. It's beyond that. Number three, we believe that in order to accomplish our why, that we need to leave the masks, that we have to stop being pretenders, that we have to value authenticity. And that means we have to give room for people to fail. We all will fail from time to time. That's part of the human existence. But along with leaving the masks, number four, we also expect spiritual growth. That we believe that as being part of the community of God, being part of a we, that when God's word is presented and we do life together and we worship together, that God's word does not return void, as it says in Isaiah 55, that God will accomplish exactly what he sent it. So when his word gets in you, it sprouts. And that is the spiritual growth that we expect. Listen, I want you to know, I expect you to be growing spiritually if you're part of this community. Why? Because God promises it. And if you're not growing spiritually, it could be a season of life, circumstances that are weighing you down. I've been there. I've had those moments. 
Or it could be that you're part of the we in form but not in function. That you're here but you're not applying. You're here and you're not listening. Uh, I'm a firm believer that spiritual growth happens whenever we, we, we present ourselves, position ourselves for the things of God. Number five, we come together. We believe we should do life together. Number six, the practice and the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Jesus taught us to pray, let your kingdom come and let your will be done. And that means when we pray for his kingdom to come, it means we're praying for our kingdom to go. That it's not just about me, that it's about his kingdom, his rule, his reign being established here. Number seven, the hill we die on is everyone gets to play. If this is your church home, you need to be playing with us. You need to use your gifts, your talents, your abilities here. You're part of this kingdom. You're part of the we. Number eight, the presence of God is how we think we accomplish our why. We want to experience the presence of God, not just the knowledge of God. That God is not just some deity who's out there in a distance, but he's looking to meet with his people, that he takes interest in our lives and what we're going through today at this moment. Number nine, compassion ministry. Believe that mercy triumphs over judgment. We want to lean towards the hurting and towards the poor and towards the outcast with the compassion of Jesus. And then our final hill that we die in is that we believe that we all should be spiritual contributors and not just consumers. That we really are stronger together than we are than we are on our own. That we can accomplish things in our community and internationally that we could never accomplish on our own. And so this is our how. This is how we believe we accomplish our why. And then the final is our what. Go to that next slide if you would please. And the what is easy to see. This is our worship and regroups and counseling and prayer and revive and children's ministry and preaching and I misspelled teaching. We do teeing. Teeing, we're good at that. And conferences and events and all of those things, right? The what is easy to see. Here's the thing. The what is not sustainable unless you get the why. And if you don't have the why, you're going to be part of the what for a short period of time. But eventually you're going to grow weary and you're going to phase out of doing the what and being part of the how because you've lost sight of the why. The reality of it is all of the what that we do, all that we've been as a church, for good or bad, all that we are, none of that happens without you. Because you make us the we that we need to be. We, we? You get that? That's just the reality of it. We make no difference without you. We don't serve our community without you. We don't have a ministry in India without you. We don't see people coming to Jesus without you. You know, we had nine people raise their hand to receive Christ last week. That doesn't happen without you. That doesn't happen without volunteers. And that doesn't happen without people who are buying in and willing to, to put their money where their mouth is, so to speak, and put their time where their mouth is and actually invest to become part of a we that's making a difference in our community. The only way we become the we we need to be is with more of you. That's just the reality. It's not, and, and understand this. The local church can never be about me. Now, I understand that, it, that, that, that it's popular nowadays to just kind of look at, 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 at a senior pastor who become you know, an icon or uh, you know, this pop star, and we kind of, that, that's, that, that's, I fight against that, all right? It can't be me. Please don't put me on a pedestal ever. It's we. Anytime you begin to think, well, the, the we is me, then the church becomes weaker. And so we do this together. We serve this together. Now let me be, let me be clear. To be an effective we, 
takes more than just having a bunch of yous together in the same room. To be an effective we means that you need to have buy-in to the why we exist. And the more people that have buy-in to the why that we exist, the stronger that we become. Because you make us we. You make us a better church. Anything that you like, love, or appreciate about this church is because an individual you joined a we and made we better. We started this church with a handful of yous that said, let's figure this thing out. let's, Let's start something where other people can come and be part of us, be part of we. We are the church that Jesus came to establish. And now we are invited to, be, to take our part as part of the local church that proclaims the message of Jesus. Look, look, at, look at Matthew 16. Jesus says, And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. If you're wondering what Jesus has been doing ever since he left earth, it's been building his church. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, he's been building his church from Surprise to Shanghai to El Mirage to El Salvador. In every country, every continent, every part of the world, every city, every town, every out-of-the-way village that we've never heard of, he's building something. It's what he does, and he invites us to be a part of that. But notice what he says, that I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, I, when I was younger, I always took this passage as like, well, hell's coming against the church. It's hell, the weapons of hell's coming against the church. But gates are not an offensive weapon, nor is anyone afraid of a gate. You've never been walking down the street, a gate, right? <laughs> never have you been afraid of a gate. What Jesus is saying is that it is the church that is offensive and it is hell that is defensive. And what Jesus is saying is that when the yous gather together and become a we under united vision and they're taking the message of me forward, that not even the gates of hell will prevent the we from going forward. That we step into the place that hell claimed as its own and says we are reclaiming it for the kingdom of God. That is what Jesus is saying. And you are part of his we. That's what scripture talks about. That's when Peter says that he's fitting us together as spiritual blocks, he's saying that you are literally a spiritual Lego that Jesus is building into his church because you make us a better and stronger we. Let me leave you with this. We'll be out of here in five minutes. Any business, any organization, any church, any relationship has three levels of buy-in. The first is I believe in this enough to benefit from it. We've all been in relationships like this at one point, right? I believe in this relationship as long as I get what I want out of it, as long as it's good for me, as long as it meets my needs. But as soon as it's no longer good for me, I'm out of it, right? We've been in businesses and, you know, different things like that. I'm committed to this business. I'm committed to the church. I'm committed to this relationship as long as there's benefit. But once the benefits expire, I'm out, I believe in this church as long as there's a benefit to me, as long as it meets my needs, as long as my children feel good, as long as I feel good, as long as it feeds me. I'm here as long as there's a benefit to me. It's a consumer mindset. Listen, and a lot of us enter the church under that first level of buy-in, and that's okay. You're checking things out. I get it. But there has to be movement. The second level of buy-in is this, that I believe in this enough to contribute comfortably. 
that as long as it doesn't disrupt my life, as long as it doesn't disrupt my schedule, doesn't disrupt my plans, doesn't disrupt my finances, as long as I don't have to reprioritize and restructure anything, I'm good serving, I'm good being a part of this relationship, but as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, I'm out of here. I'm good in this organization, but as soon as it becomes uncomfortable, I'm out of here. I'm good in this church, but as soon as you ask me to reprioritize and restructure, i got to back away. And this is where most people are at in the American church today. That I'm good as long as you don't require too much of me. But let, let, let me just tell you what Jesus, let me just, let me just remind you what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus requires. He's like, hey, you want to follow me? Prepare to die. You never can accuse Jesus of bait and switch. He's like, you want to follow me? Take up your cross. You're like, the, the, the cross, that's like a symbol of crucifixion. Yeah, yeah. No cotton candy here. Like, you want to follow me? Prepare. Prepare for life to get uncomfortable. That's the, that's the faith he calls us to. That's just the reality of it. And some of you, you, wanna, you, want, you want that challenge. Some of you are like, I'm tired of this easy, comfortable faith that requires nothing of me. Listen, Jesus always required something. Your salvation is free. But once you want to follow him, he's like, it's going to cost you something. It's just the way it is. And so here's that third level of buy-in. That I believe in this enough to do whatever is needed to see it succeed. And this, based upon what I read in Scripture, is what Jesus is calling us to. This is where greatness lies in the church. Those who recognize that we are more effective as a we than we are as a you. For any organization, or for any church, or for any family, or any business, any relationship to be successful. It needs enough yous to become a we and say that we are willing to do whatever is needed to see this be successful. That I will fight for this, whatever that's going to mean. And the only way anything rises to its full potential is by having enough use that buy in at that level of we. See, listen, listen. A business with level one buy-in employees is a business ready to go out of business. A relationship with level one buy-in is a relationship waiting for divorce. A relationship with level two buy-in is a relationship that's going to have this until one day this becomes a little too long and someone's out. A church that has level two buy-in is going to have this until eventually someone's going to put a challenge to you and you're going to jettison the craft. But a, but a church, an organization, a relationship that has the buy-in that says, I am committed to my marriage so much that I'm willing to do whatever it takes to make this thing work even if I have to restructure, reprioritize, and even if it hurts me a little bit. That works in any relationship, any organization, and it works in the church. And so I'm calling you to be a part of our why. So we have a new level of re new round of regroups that is getting ready to start up. We'll have those being advertised very soon. Some of you, you need to step back in to be a regroup leader. Why? Because people need to find God, find others, and find themselves. Some of you, you need to lead a group. Maybe you've never led one. You need to come and talk to me. Let's talk about what that looks like. Maybe you lead this semester. Maybe I say, hey, why don't you hang out with this group? Let them kind of mentor you a little bit, and, 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 and you lead at the next one. I don't know what that looks like for you. Some of you need to step up and begin to start a ministry. Some of you just need to start giving financially to be a part of what we are doing locally and throughout the world. That's being part of the we. I don't know what that looks like for you. But what, what I hope you're hearing 
is that there is no we without you. And so as your pastor, I'm inviting you to be part of we. Because we can be quite beautiful with all of our mess and all of our trouble and all of our stains and all of our screw-ups. We are the local church and we are quite beautiful in that mess. And so you're wanted here and you're needed here and you're welcomed here to be part of the we, not just in form by being here, but in function. All right, join me as we stand, will you? Did the best I could with a heavy heart today. Next week, I want us to, uh, we're going to explore some leadership principles that I think you'll find quite engaging uh, to lead yourself. And here's, here's my thought, is that when you are a better you, we become a better we. And so we're going to talk about some leadership principles of, of how we can lead ourselves, how you can lead yourself and become a better you. And my belief is when you are a better you, it becomes infectious and we become a better we. All right, so this will be a short series, uh, two weeks, maybe three weeks. Uh, if today was bad, we're done. It'll be one of the, one, one of the, one of the three, but let's, let's pray. Lord, my heart is heavy as I've already communicated, and I, I have just so many questions uh, today, and um, be lying if I didn't say that my soul is frustrated and a little confused, um, but there is one thing that I do not question and one thing that I know with great clarity, and that is that the local church still matters. And I've never wavered on that. I still believe it today. I believe the local church matters. I believe the local church is the hope of the world because we contain the message of salvation. I believe that it's a, a cause worthy to give ourselves to, even when it becomes uncomfortable. I believe that it's a, a cause to, to sacrifice for because we are literally communicating the most important message on earth. And so I, I would pray that you would uh, have moved today beyond my ability, beyond maybe words that fall flat, fell flat or maybe ideas that didn't um, blossom as I would have hoped, but um, I would ask that, Holy Spirit, that you would move beyond my words and that you've settled something in the hearts and the minds and the spirits of those that call reveal home. Um, and that we would leave here with this, uh, this almost nagging thought. Don't let, it, don't let it disappear. Don't let it drift from us. This idea that we um, together are stronger. And that individual use would now become a we in function. And so I pray that uh, we would have a, a strong rest of 2019 for more, pray for more salvations, more leaders, more groups, more lives that would be changed, more addictions that are broken, more marriages that are restored, more children that hear the, the news of salvation, more baptisms, more of all those things that you are about. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Hey, church, God bless you. I hope to see you next week. We're going to shift this a little bit, talk about leadership principles. Uh, if you're a guest, I'd love to meet you. If you need prayer, we'll have someone pray for you. God bless. I'll see you next week.